Good morning. It's so wonderful to be with you here, uh, to meet your lovely pastor and his wife, and to bring you greetings from the United States. I work for uh, Billy Graham, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and um, our, the leader of our organization is now Franklin Graham, his uh, son, who's been our president and CEO for about 20 years. Mr. Graham is 98 years old and um, is not sick. He's not in the hospital. Um, he's a little tired, but I'm 57 and I'm exhausted, so... Uh, it's fine if he, he rests every now and then. I will tell you that he is um, still uh, very much uh, wide awake to what God is doing. And God is doing some amazing, amazing things. God is at work. And God is real. And God is moving in his people. And I had the privilege uh, last year of working all across the United States that I'll tell you more about in just a minute. But it's, it's, it's really a privilege to be with you. I appreciate the invitation. It's wonderful to be with uh, brothers and sisters. You know, we're family. We don't know each other, but we're family. We may not see each other again, but uh, we'll see you 100 years from now. We'll all be somewhere. And um, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you will spend age after age after age in his presence. And so we will see each other again. And um, it's nice to be, there's, there's love in this church and I'm very grateful to be with you. I come from New York City. I live in North Carolina now, uh, but I come from New York City. I spent uh, 20 years in New York. We raised our children there. I have four children and three grandchildren. And I worked uh, as a financial advisor for a while and then was on staff at a place called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I don't know if you've heard of that church. They have a choir and uh, at any rate, uh, the privilege of being there. And, um, and so New York, New York's a difficult place. London's a difficult place because there are people there that are vulnerable and hurting and there's pain. That's what sin does. Sin causes pain and it causes chaos. In contrast to Jesus, who comes to bring life and to bring it more abundantly, the Bible says that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And if you're new to the things of the Lord, that's why my sister, who's the, who, who played the piano and was a worship leader, that's why you saw her raise her hand. Because there's joy that comes from knowing Jesus. There's joy that comes from being set free and being delivered and knowing that you don't have to live that way anymore and that there's, there's liberty that comes from knowing Jesus. And that's the good news that we have. That's why the, the gospel is called good news. When Jesus, was first, Jesus first began, he said, I've come to bring freedom to the captives. Recovery is sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And right now, today, driving by this church are people that are oppressed. They don't even know it. They're just lost. They just, 
don't know where they are and they don't know how to get back. And that's why it's so wonderful to have a light right here because we have a wonderful Savior who loves and reaches and calls and rescues and sets free. Well, that's something that we had the privilege that all of you have the privilege of doing every day. You don't have to be in the ministry to carry that message. Every, some of you in, in communities and where you live, you have the opportunity to live for Christ. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God, be reconciled to God. In other words, get into a right relationship with God. In another place, he says that we are by nature children of wrath, that we're, that we're alienated from God, that there's hostility between God and us. But yet Jesus offers a way to bridge that, to, to bring about reconciliation and restoration and to put us back in a right relationship with God. Well, that's our job as believers, to plead with people, please be reconciled to God. Please get right with God. Please let Jesus take away your sins, rescue you, redeem you. And then once you've been saved, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are now ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We don't represent ourselves anymore. We don't represent our families. We don't represent, certainly don't represent a political party. We represent Jesus. He is our complete identity. Now, I'm going to get on a flight in a little while, and I'm going to go through security, lovely security at, at Heathrow. Nothing like LaGuardia, though, where, where I come from, LaGuardia or Kennedy. Nothing like those places, because that's full-on contact in, in those airports. Here, it's very proper, you know, it's very nice, very, very calm, very polite. But when I get to the airport, I'm going to pull out my passport. I have a blue passport because I'm a United States citizen. And that's how they identify me as an American with all of my stamps from different places. They, rep they recognize me as an American, but I'm not an American. Not anymore because my citizenship isn't here. My citizenship is in heaven. I belong somewhere else. I don't belong here. I'm comfortable in your country. I've been here um, plenty of times. And I'm, I'm comfortable here. I'm not quite sure about the roads yet. <laughs> and most of the time, I'm not driving. I'm riding, like my friend Colin brought me over here. But I'm pretty comfortable here. But we're not made for here. You're not made for here. You're made for somewhere else. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not a citizen of this place anymore. You're less and less at home. Now, that has an implication. I'm a, uh, let me just make a, a reference to what you guys are getting ready to face here with the snap elections that we're called. We're called to represent Jesus in every aspect, every facet of our lives. We're called to represent him. You're not called to represent the conservatives or the liberal party, whatever your affiliation whether you're a fan of Theresa May or not, doesn't really matter because you're not called to be identified with her. You're called to be identified with Jesus. And so that has an impact because not very many people are used to seeing people that are born again. That's a biblical word. 
People whose lives have been changed, who have been washed clean, and now are different, completely different. I don't know about you, but I'm not like I used to be. I'm not. And by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm changing every single day. Don't you need to become more patient and more kind and more holy and more righteous and more drawn to God? I do. But in every facet of our lives, we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to make a difference. And in our country, I can't really speak for here. But in our country, that's becoming more and more difficult, more and more hostile to the gospel, more and more hostile to people standing up for what's right and calling white white and calling black black because there's a difference. You know, in this past year, um, we did something that we had never done as an organization before. We held 50 prayer rallies all around the country. We went to the, the capital of every single state in the United States. And we drew Christians together to do two things. First, to pray, which I'll talk more about in just a second. And then to engage in our culture and to go out and make a difference and to be salt and light. There's a very interesting article that was written on the back of that, at the very beginning of that campaign, but right in the middle of the election between Mrs. Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump, who wound up winning to follow President Obama. And the question was this that was raised in New Hampshire. The question was raised, whenever there's an election, there's a lot of noise, a lot of conversation, a lot of arguing. She referred to the, the Brexit uh, vote that you had here, a lot of animosity, a lot of hostility, a lot of meanness. There's a lot of mean-spiritedness, even among Christians when you talk about politics. And that should not be. We should be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Wow, do we need kindness. Self-control. There should be a different aroma about a Christian, that we can stand for what's right, but the tone of our conversation, the tone of our, of our dialogue with people should be kind and generous and sweet like Jesus, who was meek and humble. But yet in the middle of that very acrimonious election that we had that wound up with Mr. Trump winning, in the middle of that, this question was raised, which is that whenever there's election, there's so much, there's so much um, noise and drama is the way we would say it. There's so much drama. The question is, when an election happens, does the presence of the church make a difference? It was raised in New Hampshire, one of our, probably one of our, our more, more liberal states, socially liberal. And I'd ask you that question here. Does the presence of Christians in a culture matter. I'm not talking about the presence of the established church. I'm talking about your presence in your place of work, in your community, in your school. Does the presence of a Christian in a place make a difference? And that's why we spent so much time going around the country saying, come on, we're believers. We have to make our voice heard. 
We have to stand up for what's right. Because you know why? Because we don't represent ourselves anymore. You don't represent this church. You represent Jesus. And the Bible says that all of us are going to have to stand before the great judgment seat of Christ to answer for those things done, good and bad, in the body. Do you know that? Do you know that you're going to have to answer for the way you conducted your business here? Because the Bible says you don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He bought you. He redeemed you and saved you. He's invested in you. And when you receive Christ because his precious blood was spent for you and washed you clean, you now belong to him. So I would ask you this before I talk about something very, very personal to each one of us. I would say we don't have any right as believers representing Jesus to sit on our hands anymore. Not in this culture. Not in this culture do we have a right to stand on the outside and complain about how things are going without saying, no, I represent Jesus. I'm going to stand for him and I'm going to stand for what's right, regardless of what the culture does. Look, the culture is going to do what it does. Unbelievers are going to act like they act. You don't expect them to act any different. Nasty, unkind, mean-spirited, and all of that. But that can't be true of us. So kind, generous, sweet, yes. But bold and as fearless as lions to say, no, I'll stand up for Jesus because I represent him. Absolutely. And that has to be characteristic of this church. That has to be characteristic of you and your family. With your children. Inside the family, sometimes it's the hardest to represent Jesus around people that don't think like you. So I just challenge you with all of the affiliations we, we have, all of the nonsense things that we care about. We wave a flag for Tottenham or Arsenal or Millwall or whatever. All the nonsense thing. I'm a New York Yankees baseball fan. All the things I care about. People yell and cheer. 90,000 people at Wembley last night for that boxing match. But when it comes to really standing up for the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, I can't raise my voice for him. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. And I want to ask you if you've ever been convicted of that. I mean, I go, to, I go to sporting events all the time. And I see people going crazy, going wild about a silly game. I mean, who's going to remember years from now, Tottenham and West Ham? Who's going to remember the outcome of that years from now? And I can't stand with my hands raised and say, we praise you, Lord. We praise you. I praise you. I pour out my heart to you. And I glorify your name. We have to ask God to keep us from being so self-conscious that we don't open our hearts to Jesus and represent him well. And that's the second thing I wanted to talk to you about. Because we said two things around the country last year, our country, which is we have to stand up for what's right. We have to do what's right. We have to represent him well so that he looks at, looks at me and looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant, well done with our outward conduct. But I want to tell you about something else. I want to read a verse to you that comes from the words of Jesus 
about your personal life. Because we both have two things. We both have a very public face, the way people see us, and then we have a private, personal relationship with God. And with just a few minutes I have left, I want to I just point you to, to one passage in Luke chapter 11. When Jesus was praying in a certain place, I told you I was 57. When Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. There must have been something about the way Jesus prayed. And his disciples said, wow, look at how he prays. And they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. It's the only time where the disciples ever asked for any teaching from Jesus. Only recorded place. They never, they never say, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to debate. But teach us how to pray. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Jesus pray? Spend all night, anytime he made a decision. Go back and look it up for yourself. Anytime he had to make a decision, Jesus, where is Jesus? Can we, anybody see Jesus? Look around and they, oh, he had gone off by himself to pray. Now here's the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Son of God, who said, I can't do anything unless the Father shows me. How much more, you and me? We don't make a move unless we hear from God. And so they said, teach us to pray. And what follows that is Jesus saying, when you pray, say, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then, because Jesus was a teacher and Jesus saw the people as needy, Jesus told them a story. Here's the second person of the Trinity before all time who says to the people, I've given you a prayer, but let me describe to you how prayer works. Because you've got to remember, Jesus is seen had seen prior to being incarnate, had seen all the prayers of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David and Solomon, had seen all those prayers before he was poured into a human body. And that Jesus says, let me describe to you how prayer really works. And he then tells him a story and he says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And they'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. Well, and she has a, um, Esther who was just baptized. She's precious, by the way. I mean, there are children that are beautiful, and then there are children that are beautiful. She's beautiful. I'm betting that when they get her asleep, they don't want anybody to breathe in their house. Like, if she's down, okay, hold still. And anybody that knocks on that door is like, shh, shh, are you, in, are you a lunatic? Be quiet. Esther's asleep. Am I right? Yeah. You can tell because they're exhausted. And Jesus tells this story and says, prayer works like this. 
There was a man and it was late, middle of the night, and his family's all asleep. And their man, a man comes and knocks on the door and says, I, ha- I got guests. I have guests and they've come and I don't have any food. I need, you know, raid the, raid the pantry, go into the cupboard. And I, I need some, something, some beans or something, some bread. What do you have? And the man calls down like she would do and say, shh, shh, can't help you now. Can't get up and make coffee. It's the middle of the night. Go away. And the Bible says that the man won't stop. And he keeps doing this. The guy goes back to bed. And the man down on the street is, I, 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 I hate to bother you, but I have guests. And the man goes back to bed. And I can imagine the conversation. Can't you remember the conversation between the husband and the wife? And he says, who is that? It's, a, it's our insane neighbor. He's, he's quite mad, as you would say. We would say he's crazy. He's quite mad. He's bothering us in the middle of the night. And he wants bread. That's okay. We'll take care of him in the morning. And then, right as they're about to nod back off to sleep, you hear this. He says, are you serious? Are you kidding me right now? And he goes down and I said, I said, I can't help you. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going away. I'm not going away. It's just going to keep up. You might as well come down here and help me. He keeps knocking and keeps knocking. And then Jesus says something that I think is remarkable. He says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his stubborn impudence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. These people knew each other. They were next door neighbors. But the friendship wasn't enough to get him out of bed. It was only because of his stubbornness that he actually got up and said, okay, would you stop already? I'll be right down. Just stop knocking. I'll be right down. I, I got to go. I'll be right back. And he goes down and he opens the door. And Jesus said, you see what I just told you? That's prayer. Now, I didn't make this up. This isn't a story from New York. This is Jesus. Red letters. See? Red letters. And Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open to you. What father among you is there who has a son when he asks him for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, is he going to give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to to those who ask of him? And then that's it. And Jesus is done. Jesus is showing us, is showing you, how it is that prayer works. The Bible says that he is near to all who call on him. In Psalm 145, 18, it says he's near whenever we call on him. You know what that word near means in the Greek? 
It means that he bends down to get close. That's what it literally means in the Hebrew, excuse me, in the Hebrew. I thought of that two weeks ago when my, my grandchildren came over. I've had, I've had a, a blast being a father, but a grandfather? Oh, that's, that's a whole different animal. Well, my grandchildren pulled up in the driveway. My son, my daughter-in-law, I have three grandchildren, and our oldest granddaughter, her name is Emmy, she's six. The doors opened of the car, and I saw her. I was making coffee, standing at the window, and I looked out, and I saw her, and the door opened, I saw her little pigtails, and she's unbuckling herself from all the harnesses and all of the straps. When we, when we were kids, I was thrown in the back of a car. I was flopping around back there. I restrained. I mean, I don't know how we made it, but now you have to wear a helmet, and you got the shoulder straps, and you're, there's foam around you. I don't know how kids make it these days. Not me. Thrown in the back of the station wagon, and off we went. She unbuckles herself, and I see her with her pigtails hop down out of the car, and she disappears to the side door, and I hear the back door slam open, and she's yelling my favorite word, poppy, poppy, poppy. And I can picture her, as I'm drying off my hands real quick, I can picture her come flying around the outside and right into our kitchen, and I turned, and there she is. And you know what I did? I did this. I said, come here, baby. Come here. Come here. And she crashed into me, and I grabbed her, and I picked her up. And she wanted to tell me all about it. She wanted to tell me about the snacks that she had eaten on the way down to our house. And she wanted to show me her tooth that was coming in. She wanted to tell me about all of it. And you know what? I want to hear about all of it. It's all so important to me. I care about every single little detail. Did you see what I just did when she called my name? I got right down and said, oh, please, baby, come here. Come here, baby. Come here. Tell me. And Jesus says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is the Heavenly Father wanting to give the Holy Spirit, in other places, he, said, he says good gifts to those who would just ask. Now, look, I'm selfish, like you are. I mean, don't look at me like that. You're selfish, too. It's all about us, all about me and my concerns. But yet my granddaughter comes in the house. I've forgotten everything because this is Emmy. And I've been right down and I want to hear about all of her concerns, all the things that she cares about. Every little last detail is important to me. Jesus tells that story to tell us that's how you should pray. Because he is near to all who call on him. The Bible says, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. The Bible also says, you have not because you ask not. So I want to ask you this, and this is all I came to tell you today. I want to ask you if there's anything that you do not have because you have not asked. Just that simple.
Jesus' teaching is very clear. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. If you knock, he's going to open. But I ask you, please, knock. I ask you, please, seek. Call on him in the day of trouble, the Bible says, and he will answer you. And look, you can't be in a room like this without there being heavy burdens in here. Heavy, heavy burdens. You can have bills that are this high and money that's this high. You can have sons away from the Lord. Daughters away from the Lord. Children and grandchildren. You could be sitting next to a person you're married to and it's not good. And I just want to ask you this. I want to ask you, have you made, have you taken advantage of the promise of God that says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. Ask me. He is near to all who call. And if we don't call, all bets are off. There are no promises to those who won't call. Did you see what Jesus said? He said, even though they're friends, that's not enough to get this man in the story up. It was only because he kept doing this. And I want to tell you, if you have a child that's away from the Lord, if you have a marriage that's in trouble, if you have difficulty, trial, don't you stop knocking. Don't you stop praying. You get tired, I understand. I've gotten tired. But don't you stop because he's near to all who call. He bends down low and says, come here, tell me, what do you need? But don't stand there, come to me. Isn't that how you got saved? Didn't you get saved by coming to God and giving him everything? The, the same way that you got saved by faith, we walk by faith. We walk by coming to God and saying, oh God, I need you. That old great hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. And now the, the, the current hymn, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need thee. And it's possible you can go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and not once call on God. Want to be people of prayer? Look back at the last week, just the last week of your life. Are you calling on God for the one thing that you need, the great burden, the great trial in your life? I would encourage you, because Jesus is near to all that call on him, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. Ask and you will receive. Let's pray.